Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast with your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Thank you so much, Doug Nats. It's my pleasure to be here with you. My name is Jamie Dew. I am the host and curator of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, a weekly affair where each week we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and we add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once 15 of the 30 nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and determine who will be enshrined in perpetuity in the hall. Welcome. Before uh, walking into the hall, please do me a favor and wipe your feet. We're keeping this place extra sparkly for the holidays. We love sparkles on the holidays. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. I hope you're doing excellent. I hope you're finding lots of holiday cheer out there. We are well into December at this point, and we're getting closer to the new year, which of course means we are getting closer to voting. January 10th, voting will open for the first half. Have you registered yet? If you haven't, you can't vote. So make sure to register. For heaven's sake, if you don't register, you can't vote. And if you don't vote, you can't complain about who doesn't get in. Every week we post in you know various places and people will say, well, this person's a slam dunk. They should get in. Well, then get off your horse and register to vote. And you can have your say. It's just that easy. Anywhere you see the SNL Hall of Fame links, there is a space there for you to register to vote. And if you want, you can also go to snlhof.com and click on voting and register to vote there. And that's where the instructions for voting will come up. I've talked a lot about voting, haven't I? My goodness, you'd almost think that the conceit of the show is voting. Well, it it sort of is. And as such, going into the voting period, January 16th and January 23rd, we'll be doing roundtables. So before you vote, listen to the roundtables. We have uh, some excellent panelists that come on and reveal their ballot live and justify it. They rationalize why they've chosen who they've chosen. Uh, You don't get the opportunity to do that, but you do get the opportunity to vote. So. That's what I've got for you. I hope you're well. I'm well. I'm great. Things are lovely here at the hall. I can't get over how much power we're saving on the electricity bill now that I've got you turning out the light. It's working out really well. During last week's Matt Minutia Minute, 
you tipped your hand a little bit and talked about today's featured nominee, and that is Drew Barrymore in the host category. All SNL Hall of Fame podcast completists already knew that, of course, but it's interesting that you were talking about her last week, and now here we are. Matt, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I did indeed. Uh, Drew Barrymore, like everybody in my generation, we have a soft spot for her. I have to say, being about her age, I don't know if I'd have been able to experience what she's experienced with Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Let's do it. Okay, Drew Barrymore, five foot four, born February 22nd, 1975. Her first time hosting was November 20th, 1982 in season eight. So doing the math, her first time hosting was when she was seven. And I have checked this math, unlike last week. <laughs> so that is, in fact, that is an interesting year. That's the Robin Duke, Mary Gross, Brad Hall, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Eddie Murphy era. You know, Joe Piscopo right. before he was uh, Yoke. It's bananas. A seven-year-old hosting. And honestly, she's done better than a... She did better than a lot of grown-ups I've seen hosting that <laughs> show. So I was impressed. Yeah, five, she got her five-timer club membership in February 3rd, 2007. So that's the Fred Armisen, Will Forte, Bill Hader uh, era. It was actually quite cute because they sort of inversed the trope and kind of played into her history of rom-coms, which was kind of her thing at that point. And they had a little mini rom-com with Andy Samberg. And her most recent appearance was October 10th, 2009. So she's done six episodes. She's got fun sketches, uh, E.T., Child of Mr. T. So that was uh, one when she was seven. And I'm like, it, it was dark. They did not pull any punches that season when they had a seven-year-old discussing how they beat E.T. to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> The, uh, the Dakota Fanning show where she played Abigail Breslin, and uh, it was very silly and fun. And my favorite, Vinnie Viducci talk show, because like Vinnie Viducci, I mean, Absolutely. you can't not love him, you know, right. you know, just it's he's so greasy and and scummy but adorably so. And Drew just played off of that really well. My favorite sketch of hers, though, it was a parody that they did of an 80s aerobics video called Body Fusion, which had Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig. It was just, it was a great, ridiculous lean into like the 20 minute workout. And you had like Amy Poehler at one side playing the, 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 really sort of laid back like oh i'm just gonna like shuffle a little bit then you had Kristen wig over on the far side just completely going bonkers so it was very fun now she's she started acting at the age of 11 11 months in a puppy chow commercial her first movie role was at six in the film altered states before landing the role as gertie in et which is where we all pretty much know her from like i said seven years old when she first hosted so right after et it was super dark and if, if you can i recommend going back to watching that because that's like it's an interesting study in how different the way the shows were structured because they're much the sketches are longer and the writing is just a very different pacing uh, so it's an interesting thing to watch she was the first woman to host six episodes and and is actually now tied with tina fey and scarlett johansson that is the most episodes that a woman has ever hosted which is kind of messed up you know SNL has some bald, some bald spots when it comes to that kind of thing. So they need to bring back some of these awesome women to host more because 
six is not enough. Six is not enough. Now, she was an incredibly good sport. She has her talk show recently, and she actually posted a clip from that talk uh, and talked about on her talk show how she loved Chloe Feynman's parody of the talk show. So she's able to take a good laugh. She was briefly married to Canadian Tom Green and is a member of the Barrymore family of actors with a history in theater going back to William Barrymore, an actor from 1780. Wow. Yeah, so her family is a veritable institution of of actors, which is something else she has made fun of in her intros over the years. There was a play on Broadway called The Royal Family in 1927 about her, I believe, great-grandfather and his family of actors. And yeah, so... She has 81 actor credits, 27 producer credits, 5 director credits, and starred with Adam Sandler in three movies. She has a lot of, she, she has a lot of deep connections to SNL. She also introduced Jimmy Fallon to his wife and set them up on their first date while she was co-starring in Fever Pitch with him. Oh, wow. So, you know, like, I guess being a seven-year-old on that set didn't traumatize her, or maybe it did and she got through it in, in therapy, I don't know. But yeah, she, she's a kind of part of the SNL family in a lot of ways. Rovine from the Saturday Night Network. Very pleased to have you on with us, Nicole. Your first time in season two of the SNL Hall of Fame, so we're so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm just thrilled to be talking about the one and only Drew Barrymore. I think there's so much to say about her. What a journey on SNL, what a journey in her life, and what a privilege I think you know the public has had in, in witnessing all of this. And perhaps, as we'll get into, maybe at her expense, you know, that we've been privy as the public to, to see so much from her. Um, but all in all, I think that there's just so much to say, and I'm so happy to be here. I've been loving season two as a listener. So, you know, to contribute to it is is just really an honor. I'm really excited. Thank you so much. And yeah, Drew Barrymore, super interesting, like maybe the most likable person who I've covered, who we've covered so far uh, here in season two of the SNL Hall of Fame. So I'm curious, like what compelled you to want to discuss Drew Barrymore specifically and her SNL Hall of Fame candidacy? I was going back through today, rewatching all of the Drew stuff, going through really just down an SNL rabbit hole as, you know, anyone listening relates, you know, you could find yourself hours and hours of like rewatching things from certain eras or certain hosts, whatever it is, you know, whether you're preparing for this type of thing or not. And the thing that stood out to me was she, with the exception of the first decade, Drew Barrymore has either been, has either appeared in or been impersonated in every single decade of Saturday Night Live, again, except for the first one, which is only half a decade. So it even proves the point further, you know, that like every, you can say every full decade that SNL has ever had, Mm -hmm. Drew has either been in or been mentioned in and and been impersonated. And so um, I think she's just like, how many people can you say that for? Not a lot, not a lot at all. And so I I was just so compelled to talk about her because she, it's really rare to find someone as the show has gone on for as long as it has 
how many people can you say have been a part of it for spanning such a long time and are continuing to, you know, be a part of it? I mean, like the, you know, the amazing impression that we have from Chloe Feynman, I know that's not you know, a cameo or a hosting appearance from Drew herself. But that, of course, is is a version of Drew continuing to be a part of the show. You know, she talks about the the impression. She's had Chloe on her show to talk about it. So as far as I'm concerned, Drew is like top five people who have been a part of SNL culturally throughout the longest time you possibly can. You know, Steve Martin would be number one on that list and number two and number three and four are far behind him. But I think that she's really in that like number two, number three, number four type of spot that you could occupy. So it's just, I think that when you talk about Hall of Fame, longevity is a big thing. You know, I made a big case for Miley Cyrus last year and I understand that I think I I didn't get the result I wanted because she did not have that longevity that other people do. Uh, By the way, it's her birthday that we're recording this, Miley Cyrus. So I had to say happy birthday to her. Happy birthday, Miley. Um, She's a big listener, by the way, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, figured. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just, you know, last time I I think I lost on account of, of, of that, that time thing. And so for Drew, it's just when you're talking about a Hall of Fame, and I do respect the angle that people had against my case of like, you know, when you're talking about Hall <laughs> of Fame first round, it should be someone who's made an impact over a very long period of time. And so with that said, I bring you Drew Barrymore. So this is Nicole Rovine's revenge episode sure. in, in, in a small way. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. Like, I, I guess I didn't think about it from that angle as far as she's been part of the fabric of SNL since the 80s. And we've seen her. How many how many people who've been involved with the show can we say that we've kind of watched grow up in in a lot of ways? You know, like she first hosted when she was seven years old in 1982. Still, still the youngest host of all time. Drew, I know Drew's very proud of that fact that she's still the youngest host of all time. But it's so like we that that just doesn't happen uh, in this type of show where we see somebody from when they're a child grow up in front of our eyes over the years. And in her case, you know, not only off SNL, but we've seen her grow up on the show as well. So I think that's super rare. And I'm just fascinated. Like how would, I'm um, so I'm curious, how, how would like seven-year-old Nicole Rovine have handled hosting Saturday Night Live? <laughs> if you were tasked <laughs> to host the show at seven years old, what would that experience have oh, been like? My, I mean, not well. Well, first of all, also she, she was born at the same year that the show was born. Right. 1975. 75. So it's like, you know, you could argue that her life and SNL's live life has, they have run parallel to each other, you know, which yeah. is kind of crazy, but how would I have handled it? <laughs> Poorly. I would have, I think, okay, here's what would have happened. I would have, it would have been going well. I would have gotten some laughs from the audience and, you know, just people being nice and it would have kept me going. And then I would have done one thing and gotten in my head like a third of the way through the show, like maybe my first sketch, you know, after my monologue or something. I would have done one thing, even if other people didn't notice, I would have gotten in my head and said, oh my God, I messed up. I did such a bad job. I Something something went wrong. I'm horrible. Again, whether that really happened or it was just in my head, I would have gotten so in my head as a child with no coping skills. And then I would have pouted the rest of the show and and been like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so, I, I, I can't do it. I, I can't. I can't do it. And that's what would have happened. So like, I mean, I just, the idea of that age when, I mean, I did not have any type of coping skills. Whenever anything went wrong, I didn't know how to act. And, you know, we'll talk about also 
not long after that, Drew, you know, went down yeah. a path that I think none of us wanted for her or knew, yeah. or yeah. not that I was alive at the time to know if I wanted anything for anyone. But like, I think it it was, and that that episode, there are moments watching back where it's like, oh, like it's sort of ominous, and it's like, oh, don't say that, don't say that, you know, like there there are yeah. things. Was I mean, it during the cold open that she said like? something about needing a wanting a drink or make it a double relax kid you're gonna be just fine tonight hey come on can i get you a glass of milk honey milk i'm a berry more get me a drink and make it a double (laughs) oh gosh i know in retrospect you're like no drew you wish you could like reach into the tv and tell her to just wait yeah, you don't it's have to sad. go to the clubs just yeah, yet. You don't have to do it, Drew. Yeah, I know. I, I think w- with that episode, you're right. There's some kind of things looking back that that you wish you can savor from. But I think the show actually did a really good job of handling a seven-year-old host. I mean, they didn't pile up too many sketches on her. I think she did like four sketches in all. Two of them were E.T. themed, which obviously <laughs> that's like what she became famous for. Tim Kazarinski kind of babysat her pretty much during the show. And she looks back mm-hmm. on that fondly. She appreciated that. They also did that running bit, the keep Andy dump Andy bit, which helped kind of pull some right. focus away. So I don't know about you, but I think the show actually for having a child host the show, I think they did a good job with it. Oh yeah. I mean, they, it couldn't have been better given the decision, um, you know, now I think there's a reason no one has broken the record since then. And even, frankly, I think the show is is less keen on having hosts who are under 18 years old or even under 20 years old now than it used to be. And and for good reason, just because I think, I mean, we won't get into it, but like there there are good reasons that you don't want someone to have to be exposed to things at such a young age. And so I think it's a a good thing that we haven't seen a lot of seven-year-old hosts running around. Um, But I also think that you know, it did, again, propel Drew to have th- these, like, beautiful, you know, just this journey that, that sh- every time she's gone on the show, she brings it up. I was here in 1982 when I was seven years old. And, you know, it's something she always is, is excited to, to bring up. And, and it's, I think now that she's been through everything she's been through and is on the other side of so much of it, it's something she can look back on fondly. And that's what we're doing here also, like, at seeing that as, like, the first of, of the first part of this whole long, amazing journey for her. We had mentioned, of course, you know, there was a big, uh, after her hosting stint when, you know, she was nine years old or so, and not long after that, she did go through some trouble, a lot of partying, a lot of that. So, I mean, what's your familiarity? Like, what do you know about, about Drew's experiences when she was sort of away from, from Hollywood for quite some time? I know that literally like the following year after we saw her as such a an adorable little seven-year-old, it was the next year that those influences, I think, crept in and, and she was drinking and she was smoking weed and she went, then went to rehab and these things that like, you know, you don't want anyone to have to struggle through things like that and especially not someone at that age. It's just, it does, it does feel reminiscent of like, and again, she's a Barrymore, so there is something old Hollywood about it, and I'm not going to, you know, glamorize it, but there is something where you, like, I haven't heard of someone at that age getting into those things since, like, those old Hollywood, you know, stories of, of like, at, at a certain point, it, it was 
you know, or based on like the blind item podcasts I listen to and things, it feels like there was a point in time 80 years ago, 90 years ago, where that was the norm and people were exposed to just horrific things when they were, you know, one digit old. I think there was this precociousness about her that people saw. And that's why she was put into those positions to ultimately like, you know, have damaging and unfortunate consequences. And, but, you know, ultimately I I think she really, really came back from it and was able to heal herself and has had an amazing career since then and has a lot of amazing SNL successes since, since those days. So, um, you know, we can also get into that, like her, her second hosting appearance, you know, she jumps, gets right into it in the cold open with a share impression, which was fantastic. It's my own design. Oh, you look like a spider hooker. Joan, we go through this every year. I don't care what you think. That was her second appearance, right? She in ninety nine. Uh, in ninety nine, yeah. That, Season twenty four. Twenty four. She was. Yeah. She, she had lived the life of of someone in the like fifties or sixties, but she was only yeah. twenty four years old. I actually have a distinct memory after she had gone through um, her troubles when she was a teenager. She said she had been institutionalized for eighteen months. She actually worked. Said she worked at a coffee shop in L.A. Mm. when she was when she was a teenager, and people would come in and recognize her, and in some ways, kind of feel sorry for her. But I have a memory, and it's an SNL tie as well when she appeared in Wayne's World. World 2 in 1993 like there was Drew Barrymore right. with a cameo and I remember at the time I actually I'm dating myself I saw this movie in the theater mm-hmm. and I know people were talking about Drew Barrymore like oh my god the girl from E.T. is in this movie like she had been in movies here and there but her being in Wayne's World 2 and just making a brief cameo was a, just a distinct memory for me and I think it helped kind of usher her back into Hollywood um, by the time she had hosted SNL in 1999. I mean, she was full-fledged, just a mainstay uh, in Hollywood. So, uh, so you're right. Yeah. uh, March of 1999, that was her second hosting appearance. And we could jump around too, if you want, um, and just kind of start diving into her SNL hosting gigs. And if you want to share like a memory or something that pops in your mind, when you think about Drew on SNL, uh, the floor is yours. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll just just say what what I so in that that her second hosting appearance, she really wastes no time telling the world that she's back, you know, because she's mm-hmm. like, as we know, it's special when hosts appear in the cold open, which she did in that second hosting um, hosting role as Cher um, with Anna Gasteyer as Joan Rivers on the E Oscars red carpet, and that's just like a really really good moment. But then, yeah, something else with with the Hall of Fame that I I think about when I am invited here to, to, to give my two cents. I think something that's important is when you can see the person at really impactful moments and memorable moments in their careers. And then also when they have impacted SNL and been present for SNL during its really significant moments. And if they have had a, a, an impact then, and I think Drew was there for one of SNL's biggest, you know, moments ever, ever, And by moment, I'll say, you know, a month, call it around a month, which was her next hosting role. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the, it was kind of a a three, there's a a three um, pattern here, but it was her third hosting role. It was the third episode of the season and the third episode following 9-11 in season 27, 2001. 
And so, of course, that was, I mean, you know, we all have talked about the history of SNL and 9-11 and, you know, it's a lot to, to get into. But then, of course, also Anthrax comes into the building right. not long after and Drew was evacuated like the day before she was supposed to go on that week. And I mean, just the amount of trauma and bravery and uncertainty and unpredictability that the entire team went through that that drew as the host of the week had to go through i mean it was truly just unbelievable um and she talks about that in her monologue for that episode i am so excited to be back hosting saturday night live but i was so afraid to fly here so i canceled my trip and then i saw Giuliani on television saying to be brave. So the next day I got on an airplane. Then we started rehearsing and I got calm. I got really excited. And then yesterday they discovered anthrax in the building. So I immediately left. I went back to the hotel and I thought again about being brave. So I came back. And I'm here, and you're here, and you're being brave too. She said in in that monologue that she is proud of herself for being so brave, and she's really also proud and happy that the audience was so brave to be there in the building at that time. And uh, someone was there for a moment like that, such a scary moment that in the world that I think is speaks for itself in terms of like the trauma and the darkness around it with 9-11 just having happened and so much uncertainty every day walking around in New York City, um, where 30 Rock is located, right in the beating heart of New York City, where just busy and uncertain, all these things going on. I mean, I, I think for her to have to have been there and said, I'm I'm going to be here, we're going to laugh and have fun. And I thank you for being here and, and being ready to laugh and have fun. It's, it's just a really special thing. And I, I think that the show looks fondly on back on on Drew for being there for that moment. I was 19 when 9/11 happened and I wasn't in New York, I was in New Mexico, but I could I remember the mood of the country as a yeah. whole and, and 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 a lot of people were just afraid to to make jokes and laugh. It was su- it was just really somber and I think Saturday Night Live was instrumental in helping people to laugh again and during our Will Ferrell episode, we had talked about how instrumental Will Ferrell was in helping the country sort of laugh and appreciate comedy once again. And you're right, Drew mm-hmm. being a big part of of that. That was the third episode after 9-11. And Drew coming in, being a big part of that. She she was genuinely, I mean, when she says that she was afraid to fly and the anthrax scare, I mean, that was real deal stuff though those were real worries uh absolutely back then i remember tom green was in the was in the crowd for mm-hmm. her monologue she was married to him at the time he was wearing his gas mask and all of that he was poking light at it which i mean you should i think comedy is a good antidote to to things like that but yeah you're right i mean just to see drew tabbed it so early on after 9-11 to be one of the hosts i mean i think they were in good hands um with somebody like her who does love the show too and and um mm-hmm. that that'll be a theme as we have this conversation she's genuinely a fan of saturday night live like she loves yeah. the show and and yeah. that that just bleeds through when she's on screen and something that I've noticed already at her third episode, 
and I'm going to use that as a time to spring a game on you. Ah, all this right. Is, this is two truths <laughs> and a lie. So okay. don't worry. You're don't panic. Your you, your Drew Barrymore expertise isn't going to be questioned if you okay. if you get this wrong. But okay. uh, a pattern I noticed is that Drew did quite a few impressions as a mm-hmm. host on SNL. And so two of these statements are true, one of which is a lie regarding her impressions. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All righty. So spot the lie. Drew did an impression of Courtney Love. Drew did an impression of Sharon Osbourne. And Drew did an impression of Kate Hudson. Which one's the lie? Well, I know Kate Hudson did an impression of Drew Barrymore. But did... Drew Barrymore do an impression of Kate Hudson. Okay, you said Courtney Love, Sharon Osbourne, and Kate Hudson. Correct. Okay, well, I'm going to say because it could it would be a a a, a good twist if if it were. Is it the third one? Is the lie? The third one's the lie. So yes, yeah, so you, good job. You see, you passed. I was trying to trick you. Drew know, did I not do. <laughs> Drew did not do an impression of Kate Hudson. Actually, Kate Hudson did an impression of Drew. What profession, other than yours, would you like to attempt? Um, a knife maker. <laughs> what profession would you absolutely not like to participate in? Um, I wouldn't want to burn monkeys. Nor they you. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Um, hey, Drew Barrymore, you have treated people with such care, tender care and kindness. You smell like flowers. Drew Barrymore, you are a delight. Thank you. So good job, gotcha. Nicole. You could rest easy. <laughs> Saw you kind of rubbing your temples a little bit, trying to hash that out, but you did good. So That was a good trick. That was a good trick. Yeah. So it, it was just fascinating to me. And we'll see this common thread throughout her hosting stints is that she always sunk into characters and didn't always play a version of herself. Like she did. Oh yeah. Yeah. She did impressions or she did new characters, but she was rarely playing just a version of Drew Barrymore, which is a, uh, I love when a host does that. Me too. And it's such a, I think it's a common trope of, and, and also, you know, it is sort of a gendered conversation. I think that as we all know, there are way more men than women who have had these like storied SNL hosting tenures. Um, you know, that's just a fact that, that we all know. And I think that the women who have had presences on the show, that it, it does tend to fall a bit more into the, oh, playing a version of themselves thing, you know, through no fault of any one person or any one entity or whatever. But I think that is something that is is a crutch in a, in a way with just comedy since the beginning of time has been really like a male dominated field on the, like the business end of it, all those things that we could ramble about. But um, Drew is totally an exception to that since the beginning. She's well, okay. When she was seven years old, I guess, well, she was playing a version of it mostly, but <laughs> we'll cut her some slack. Yeah. 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 I mean, as if we're all here acting, like we could do 10% of what she did at that age ever. But no, that's a great point. I mean, she even she was Hillary Clinton, you know, which is not an impression that is just sort of handed to 
to people who are like, oh, be Hillary. You know, that's like an amazing storied, you know, person who so many people have gone through those halls and been Hillary. But it was when I just rewatched actually a sketch where it's it's like, uh, you know, going back in time to the bar where it's it's like Bush and Clinton and Kerry and and then Hillary comes in and it's like John Kerry like takes her out on the date and, and Bill Clinton, Daryl Hammond is Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. is like, oh, like somebody go, you know, get rid of her, like take her out. <laughs> you know, it's it's like really foreshadowing the SNL interpretation of their relationship that was to come um, or that was already in motion, but it was, you know, a flashback to decades prior. So it's I just think those types of things are very meta and funny. It was it was kind of implying that those those uh, pieces were already in motion, you know, decades before when Hillary and Bill met each other. And it was just brilliant, I think, to have Drew play Hillary in that context, because it was Hillary in her like Wellesley days where she was wearing this like cute rainbow sweater. And she was more of like a free spirit, sort of just like a curious, adventurous girl, just, you know, wanting to be a good student and explore the world. And, you know, she didn't have the weight of the world on her shoulders and she didn't have all these people coming after her with accusations. She was just like a young, free-spirited girl. And of course, of any version of Hillary Clinton to have Drew Barrymore play, it is the one who is walking into the bar as a college student who just wants to have a good time and talk to people and learn about people's experiences and read a book and talk about literature and exploring the world and it is not the version of, of Hillary Clinton who today has decades of stress and complicated right. stuff on her shoulders, you know. So I just think to to somehow in that moment be like, okay, there's this version of Hillary Clinton that we never really explore on the show and in pop culture, you know, parody and commentary. But we have Drew Barrymore who can bring that version of Hillary to life. Even And it was a brief part of the sketch, but it for me it was the best part of the sketch. We talked about even those first few episodes, like, you know, the the second one that she hosted in 99. And after that, she did impressions of Callista Flockhart on Celebrity Jeopardy. Months that start with Feb for 800. This is the only month that starts with Feb. <laughs> Mr. Connery. Febtober. <laughs> no. Callista Flockhart. What is Feb today? No. She was Melanie Griffith. These are somewhat obscure. Like Mel- nobody does a Melanie Griffith impression, but but Drew certainly tried one. She she did Anna Nicole Smith, Meg White, Pink, Courtney Love, Charlize Theron. So she's just in character doing all of these impressions, and I find it interesting because I think she did a good job as well with the impressions. But she said that she doesn't feel like like she's that great at impressions and she's not like daryl hammond or james austin johnson or dana carvey but i think that i I love i I think she sinks herself into it i think she really tries and i think she shows a lot of commitment uh Mm -hmm. in her impressions and maybe the show found people who drew kind of resembled and then said hey can you play this person on celebrity jeopardy or you know uh but she was and we talk about how a host is game i think that's a that's a common thing that we as snl fans like to to say about hosts who we find it a good job will say oh that host was game and i think this is an example asking drew to play to impersonate someone or drew wanting to herself and drew was just game for impressions (laughs) and i think that made her shows more interesting 
It's also with, like, her being in her fifth episode when she did the Abigail Breslin impression on the Dakota Fanning Show sketch. It's things like that where she's, while being so immersed in another character, she's also totally making commentary on herself. Hi, Dakota! (laughs) (laughs) This is so awesome! (laughs) It's wonderful! Wonderful to have you here, Abigail, and congratulations on the award. I'm so happy for you. I I know, I can't believe it. I'm nominated for an Oscar and I'm only 10 years old. Having Drew Barrymore play a child star caught up in like a humongous moment, you know, as Abigail Bresson was at that time, it's just like, of course, you know, Drew Drew is able to like access that and, and be in that moment of pop culture. But it's also this sort of tongue-in-cheek thing with the audience where we're all like, oh, also, like, this is Drew accessing a, herself in the past and, and all of us sort of knowing that she was this person, too. Um, another one is, like, her Ann Coulter impression when Cameron Diaz hosted in 2005 and she cameoed and Jimmy came back, the Barry Gibb talk show. It was just, like, a whole, like, big, big, like, moment where a bunch of people were all there. And, I mean, that was just, like, a really good purely good impression period you know when you take out all of like the like oh my god jimmy's here and justin's here and cameron's hosting like when you take out all of those like glitzy parts like purely her and culture impression in that sketch was just really good like no frills solid she was really great in that and i love that they they asked drew she's the type she's the type of person that they'll ask to to cameo uh, when they want something to feel special. She's been in Five Timers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know she was for sure with Candace Bergen in that Jonah Hill Five Timers sketch, Candace Bergen and Tina Fey, the all female led Five Timers Club sketch with Jonah Hill, which yeah. I thought was a wonderful, uh, wonderful twist on the Five Timers Club sketch. So uh, I love that they just decided they thought they thought to bring back Drew to do this Ann Coulter impression. That was great, and you had referenced her fifth time hosting and we're bouncing around, but I think, I think Drew would appreciate that. We're just kind of appreciating her. Yeah. She's a Pisces. She likes to move around and be fluid and float around as the spirit moves you. So (laughs) So she would love it. Yeah. We're paying homage to her, but I did want to highlight what I feel is my favorite episode uh, that she hosted, which was in 2007. You brought up that she did the Abigail Breslin impression um, on the Dakota Fanning show that was with Amy Poehler. And there's a sketch in this episode that's an example of of something that I loved about Drew and, um, as a SNL host as well. She went with the flow of what was going on in the show at the time. So if there's the target lady's big on the show so drew wants to get involved in the target lady she wants to get she wants to do digital shorts so drew's like totally game to do digital shorts she wants to take part in will forte's weirdness (laughs) and one of my favorite will forte sketches drew was so good in this i don't know if you remember the poison therapy Mm -hmm, sketch mm -hmm. and that was that was just so weird will forte but drew i think did a good yeah. job of matching his just sort of dry but demented sort of delivery and just what they were talking about. Yes. Like the, the poison therapy sketch to me is the best thing Drew has been in. Sometimes it's the little things like I always do the laundry and that's fine. I don't mind. But if he could just acknowledge that and say thank you, I don't know. <laughs> okay, Dean. But she's right. You know, I do take that for granted, but I, I kind of feel like 
there's always gonna be something, you know? I I'm not perfect, and if I mess up just a little bit, she's gonna put a bunch of poison in my food. <laughs> do you hear what he's saying, Robin? Do you think that's accurate? Well, I do put poison in his food, so I can understand why he feels that way. You do? Of course I do. She was just always willing to take part in just what was whatever was going on with the show at the time. I don't know if it's that something oh, yeah. that, that you caught. 100%. And I think that her monologue from that episode really reflects that because it was, so that was her, you know, five-timer sketch that the whole idea was that she was led, she was going to be led to her five-timers jacket and it was going to be the whole thing. And then, of course, it turns out that she's just being set up to be in a romantic comedy plot. And this really, really shows how she will just go with the flow because as as a viewer, like, you don't know what is happening next. Like, at first, you know, you're like, oh my god, cool, you know, Tom Hanks is going to pop out of nowhere and then that doesn't happen. You think that whatever, you know, all of a sudden when she and Andy are in the hallway and they drop the papers in that rom-com way, like, before you get to the rom-com moment of they're both picking up the papers for a split second, you think, oh, this is live television. This is a mistake. Like, something happened that was not supposed to happen. And then you, you see, oh, it's a rom-com. Thank God. It My first show was in 1982, and I was seven years old. I had just done the movie E.T. Oh, oh, my God. Oh. Oh, Andy, I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> sorry. something I've been wanting to ask you all week. What? Will you have dinner with me tonight? Uh, it's uh, 11.30. I've already had dinner. A girl like you deserves two dinners. Okay. It's a date. Okay, great. Okay, here, I'll take some of these. Okay. Bye. But it is, it, that, that monologue is filled with moments like that where you're like, I genuinely do not know where this is going to go next. And it also showed, to your point, earlier about her matching different people's energies, it really showed her being able to do that because she's interacting with all these different people in that sketch, mostly Andy and Will, but, you know, she really is interacting with, like, the whole... And, and also interacting with the whole studio. You know, she's all over the place. And so it just shows that she is, like, really, able, like, adaptable to all these different tones. And it also just really captured where she was in her career at the time, that it was just, like, she was just this, like, rom-com powerhouse, which a few years after, again, going back to 1982, you know, when she was, like, 12 years old, 13, 14, but between her first and second hosting gigs, who would have thought that she would end up being, like, our sparkling, innocent, right. sunshiny, like, rom-com starlet? Like, it, I feel like people would not have predicted that she would have then been that person. And so just that filled with like innocence and naivete and, and all of that at, at that time, I think it just really reflected where she was in her career and in the public sort of perception and, and like, and reckoning with Drew Barrymore and like love and admiration of her for who she was and what she was like contributing to pop culture in that moment. So I really loved that monologue and, and that episode was, was really great. I think all of her monologues, I mean, her seven-year-old monologue aside, I mean, her last five hosting since, I think that all of her monologues were really good. They were all very unique. I mean, she, you, you had referenced the the song monologue, talking about how she cleaned up her life uh, mm -hmm. in, in her 99 stint. She had then the, the one after 9-11 about the anthrax scare. There was one where E.T. 
made an appearance and C-3PO mm-hmm. and Darth Vader. And that was an interesting one. The rom-com tropes one was just, I think it was perfect. It was such concise writing. It was just a whole, a whole rom-com happened in a matter of a few minutes. So that was just yeah. so, so perfect. And then her last one, um, which mm-hmm. her most recent, weird to say, hosting appearance was October 10th, 2009, where we saw cast members actually doing impressions or kind of impressions of her and she she's the, the type of person who people love doing Drew Barrymore impressions yeah. she has a certain way of speaking that lends itself to wanting to do an impression of her and I think she she loves it too obviously she was fine with it being in the monologue yeah I loved this one it was also she pointed out in this monologue that at the time she she was the woman who had hosted the most of SNL ever and and remains, you know, she was the first woman to host six times, which is a big feat. And again, speaking of just how the show, and it's not a reflection just on the show, but show business, comedy, like, you know, that was a big deal for her to to have be the first to do that. And so, yeah, that, that one, it's also, I feel like the current discourse around like nepotism babies makes that sketch very interesting because she clearly is like poking fun of the fact that she comes from this like extremely famous Hollywood royalty family. Again, my point about how you could say, oh, that's a Barrymore, you know, she's seven years old, whatever, just put her at the table with all the adults, leave her alone, she'll be fine, she can handle it. Like that, I think, is is related to be- because she had that his- his- historic family connection and whatever. But in the context of all this discourse around nepotism babies, it's always fun to see people make fun of it. You know, the worst is when people say, my family has not helped me at all. I would be in this exact same place whether I had famous parents or not. Can't deal with that. Um, I love when people say, oh, my privilege has, you know, it's really helped me in my career and I'm so grateful. And but like, love that when you just acknowledge it. But what's really great is when you just make fun of it, you know, which she did here. So... And it was also more, again, making fun of herself because the the bit was that all of these ancient relatives talked exactly how she did in this very modern day, like, you know, valley girl way that she talks. And, a little lisp, um, kind of right. subtle lisp, a valley girl, exactly. yeah, yeah. So we saw, like, Kristen Wiig had her variation of it. We actually have some super rare footage of my great aunt Ethel Barrymore performing at the Lyson Theater in Henry Ixon's A Doll's House. How unreasonable and how ungrateful you are, Nora. Have you not been happy here? You see, Torvald, at first I thought I was happy, but it has never been so. That is what our marriage has been, Torvald. We see Bill Hader, Abby Elliott, Andy Samberg, Keenan Thompson, so they're playing some Barrymore throughout history, but speaking like drew <laughs> right so the under the assumption that like every barrymore talked like yeah. how drew talks yeah that that was just so wonderful and that last episode again she jumped into whatever was going on on the show so we're looking at october 2009 so she's in a gilly sketch mm-hmm. she's in a vinnie Vedecci sketch with bill Hader. she's doing the tampax to the max tournament of champions the greg stink pete twinkle sketch so she's participating in 
the 2009 aesthetic of Saturday right. Night Live, and she's just totally a fan doing that. I mean, if I was, I'm a huge, huge super fan, obviously. And if they asked me to host, I would love to participate in whatever the show was going was doing at the time. And I think, from her perspective, it must have been a thrill. She watches the show, so she's like, "Yeah, I want to be in a Gilly sketch. That sounds like fun." Instead of forcing her voice onto the show she's mm-hmm. just another cast member that night so i just i just love that about her yeah i also a great line to call out from that one where all of the ancient barrymores have their valley girl twang one of one of them was like she was such a free spirit and then drew you know says the same thing and just that that call back to always describing drew as like such a free spirit um i always just adore that about her and i think it's just something that I feel like in every every way we've ever seen Drew, I feel like that has always been true to her. And so it's also great talking about this Hall of Fame or status. Like when you when someone is so like etched into pop culture and then they they bring who they are onto the show and then they the way that they are on the show then like transcends the show and that whole like cyclical thing. Um, I think she's really done that. And the show has has shown us so much of that free spirited Drew Barrymore-ness on all of these different iterations over so many, so many decades, really. It's just been amazing. And it's, it's been just such a joy to watch. And then again, my point of how, even though she has not hosted since then, she's appeared on the show and equally impactful, arguably, I don't know if, you know, what the, the laws are, the laws of the land around here, but I think that when you've hosted a bunch, appeared a bunch, and then you're impersonated a bunch, I think that 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 totally contributes to whether you're voted into the Hall of Fame. You know, whether your, like, pop culture status means that people want to do impressions of you on SNL and you are a big part of the show, even if you're not... It's not you doing the impression. It's someone else talking about you or doing that of you. I think that's a, that's a reason, you know, to, to push, push Drew over the edge and have people vote for her. Like, how amazing that there was someone in 1982 who had the relevance and the star power to be hosting the show. And then in 2020, there's an entire sketch based around this person and her talk show. I mean, it's just amazing. Like that, again, that like longevity in Hollywood and for a woman, because as I've said, it's like being a woman in Hollywood, I think seems like it kind of sucks and it's hard to be respected over such so many decades in such a long time. And it's hard, I think to like, have people stay on on you for all of that time without being like, oh, moving on to the next fresh young thing. Um, and she's just, I feel like, really captured our attention and the collective. I, I feel like it's just so hard to be in Hollywood mm-hmm. at, at, as a woman. And I just, I feel like she continues to surprise us and continues to, like, just have us all love her and want to see her doing things. And not to say that people who are not as relevant in Hollywood for as long are not doing those things, but I think it's just really hard. And I think she's always been also like vulnerable and transparent about those things. Her, her, her talk show now I think is a cool opportunity for her to continue that like super intimate relationship with the public and, and have conversations and have us yeah. feel like we know her. Yeah. It's also just, it's great content for SNL. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that Chloe piece was just such a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. There's a new face in daytime. Hello to all my beautiful wildflowers. 
After seeing what went down with Ellen, we took a hard turn in the other direction. I am just like you, a boho free spirit, mommy, mother, movie star. I would say it's the Drew Barrymore show. How do you do? Also, like a lot of SNL cast members have been on it, and I think you can really feel that kind of synergy with it. So, yeah. So she hasn't hosted since 2009. That's quite a long time. Is a seventh hosting stint way overdue at this point? Like, what do you think about her coming back to host? I could see it. Um, I think she's in a really nice spot right now with. People love, you know, we love to see the Chloe impression. Heidi also has done it. Um, you know, I think if there's a, a Drew moment, it goes to Chloe. But we did see it in, for Heidi with the Jurassic Park auditions. There's always going to be someone. Real quick, I have, yeah. I have a little list of people who have actually impersonated Drew on the yeah. show. And it goes back to Jan Hooks actually yeah. did it in a Drew impersonation in 91. Rachel Dratch. Kristen Wiig, Katie Holmes did yeah. more than we had mentioned, Kate Hudson. So Heidi and Chloe have joined a, an esteemed list of, yes. of women on SNL who have impersonated Drew. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, out that I'm glad Chloe. you brought that up. It's like, you know, it's such an iconic list of people who have done those honors. So do I think she'll host again? I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, it's not something I feel like I need. Again, I'm, I want her to, to be in this Hall of Fame, but I think she's just like such a legend and I'd love to see her pop in more often. I love to see her being impersonated, having sketches about her. I think it would be really fun. Um, I mean, if she and Adam Sandler do another movie, I mean, that's just like, that'd be an amazing duo as as a with them hosting together. That'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, they're kind of an iconic duo, if, if I may Use Nicole Rovine's <laughs> terminology. It's iconic. I think Adam mm-hmm. Sandler and Drew Barrymore. I'd love to see that again. <laughs> so yeah. you're talking. It's not like an expected hosting duo, yeah. right? Because it's like, oh, either of them would do it by themselves, you know. Blah, blah. But it's like that'd just be fun because they're so different. As much as they're such a duo, like they're also so famous for so many things independent of each other. So if it was just like a duo thing, I mean, that'd be so much fun. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. For sure. <laughs> so at this point in the show, you are now talking to the voters of the SNL Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. I know we've talked a lot about reasons why she should be in the SNL Hall of Fame, alluded to certain points and everything. So right now you're talking to the voters. How would you summarize your case for Drew Barrymore as an SNL Hall of Famer? In full Drew style, I'll be extremely you know transparent and vulnerable with my process, you know, as as someone who who came in here today to talk about this, I listened again to the episode where Tom Hanks was nominated for the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I I re-listened to that one today, and I took notes on, you know, that one, because I I think they are sort of parallel, as I said multiple times, the iconic list of men who have hosted, the most iconic men who have hosted have hosted more times than the most iconic women who have hosted. So, of course, Tom Hanks has been on the show more than Drew has and is more known and associated with the show than Drew is, sure. But I think that, like, I would say that I don't want to simplify either of them in saying this, but I would say on some level, Drew is like the woman Tom Hanks as far as hosts who have been through through, with the show across so many eras. You know, now, I mean, we have Tina and Scarlett Johansson who who have also now hosted as many times, but not over 
I mean, not over the same amount of time as Drew. Like, we've really seen Drew through so many different decades. And so, and then, of course, Candace has hosted five times, but that was even more compact. So she's up there and tied with other people up there for, for the women who have hosted the most. But I think that she has just been so, she has, she has been with the show for so many specific memorable moments and brought the show through those big moments. But then she's also been for, with the show with the silliest little moments and just brought like the purest joy all the time, so many times. And I think that's the perfect thing is when someone has really been there for those huge moments and for just those pure joy moments. And through, again, like the Barry Gibb one where she was there and Cameron was there and Justin was there and Jimmy was there and like, you know, when it's this whole big frenzy and you think, oh, Drew's got to be in this one, you know, when you have that star power. But then you're also in that same frenzied episode and you have delivered this brilliant political impression amidst all of that. Like, I just think she can do it all. And I think, you know, I'll appeal to some guilt here a little bit when I say that I think that seven-year-old Drew it's what she deserves. You know, I think thinking about her, she would love to know that we were here right now having this conversation. And I think Drew of today is very in touch with her inner child. So I think if we, if Drew of today knows, then I think she will communicate with the Drew of 1982 and she will have the information because Drew is just on that kind of higher, you know, she's on that higher frequency vibrating up there. But yeah, I mean, what more could you say? I think she's just such a legend and has given us so much for the show, and that is really what it is. Thank you so much to Nicole Rovine. Great discussion there with our friend Thomas Senna. Love the appeal at the end, Nicole. Love the appeal to the to the seven-year-old version of Drew. This is just what we need to do for her. We need to get her in the SNL Hall of Fame. I love it. What we do now is we cement the deal. We solidify it with a sketch that is worthy of a Hall of Fame nomination. In this case, it's not an actual sketch. It is a monologue from Drew's appearance in 1999. So let's go to that right now. to ever host this show. It's crazy. <laughs> Here's what I looked like back in 1982. You like video games? I love video games. If I have time of off and someone says I can go to arcade, I say, terrific, anytime. <laughs> years ago and in those 17 years I've been through a lot 
A real lot. <laughs> like lots and lots. <laughs> so much, really, that I wrote a song about it. Hit it, Cheryl. Now in my younger days, my life was like a haze. I used to drink a lot, and then I smoked some pot. She drank and smoked all night, and it was out of sight. And everything was great, but she was only eight. My crabs touch the pretty funky hands for Miss Drewberry Moore. I went to rehab, got on my head straight, but my career was gone, and it was too late. Married a British gent, kind of an accident. Found out too late he reeks, divorced him in three weeks. My crabs dealt some pretty funky hands to Miss Right? That's uh, Drew Barrymore in 1999 doing uh, a song and dance, you know, about her life. And it's it's good that she's able to look back now and, and be able to be glib. And because, I mean, she was on a dangerous trajectory at one point. And she has come out the other end just shining. The new talk show is a relief from what I understand for people that enjoy those types of talk shows. They like the saner heads prevail kind of attitude that she brings, although she is a free spirit as well. She lines up nicely to be in the SNL Hall of Fame, but it's up to you. It's up to you now. And we will wait and see what will come of Drew Barrymore and the SNL Hall of Fame. But for now, that's what I've got for you. So on your way out, as you walk past the Weekend Update exhibit, do me a favor and turn out the lights because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.
podcasts and such.